0: Good morning, Fellowship Asheville, no matter who you are or where you are, we really are a church for you. Today we're going to have a conversation about a couple of words that I've heard a lot uh, lately, and maybe you have too, and these two words that I hear often are this, power and privilege. Now maybe you've seen these words come up in conversations that you've been having, maybe you've seen them come up in interviews uh, that people had, or maybe social media post. Now, kids in the room that are listening, let me explain what these words mean to you, or what these words mean. Because what these words mean, is that power and privilege describe any person who has something that someone else doesn't, right? It's any person that has something that someone else doesn't. Now, this could mean that they have more money than someone else. It could mean that they authority than someone else, like a boss at work. Uh, you know, you have, your, you have a boss, and then you have the people that work for the boss. Maybe you have an older brother or sister, right? They probably have more privileges than you do. Maybe they get to watch TV more than you. Maybe they get to have more screen time than you do. Maybe they get to stay up later, or maybe they get to be temporarily in charge when your mom or dad are gone. Right? See, all of us have a certain amount of power and privilege. All of us uh, have some. Now, some of us have lots, and some of us have a little, but all of us have some power and privilege. And you don't believe me? Check this out. I'm going to ask some questions. And if you answer yes to any one of these questions, you have more power and privilege than most people in the world. Here's the first question. Do you live in the United States? That's the first question. Do you live in the United States? If so, then you live in one of the wealthiest countries in the world. Your average income is significantly higher, almost double, than the average income of most countries in the world. The benefits that you have here are envied by, by many people in other countries. Let me ask you another question. Do you have a bank account? Over $2 billion people in the world do not have a bank account, right? They have no connection to any financial institution whatsoever. Here's another one. Do you have a college education? Do you realize only 6.7% of the world has a college education? If you have a college education, you, you, you have more power and privilege than almost every person in the world. Now, for those of you who are younger, teenagers in the room, kids in the room, do you have a social media account? If you do, only about 45% of the population does. So you're in in the bigger half, uh, over half the world doesn't. So you've got something that more than half the world doesn't. Let me ask you this. Do you have uh, an iPhone? Do you have a mobile phone? Do you have an iPad? And and, and can those access the internet? Do you have uh, a mobile device that can access the internet? If you do, if you have that, then you you have something that only about half the population in the world has. And finally, this one, are you a male? In most of the world, this gives you a distinct advantage. Even here in our country, still today, if you're a man, chances are you're making 20% more than a woman doing the exact same job. So I'm curious. Is there anybody left out there who hasn't said yes to at least one of these questions? You see, I could go on and on, and there's more things that I could say, but I think you get the picture. You see, if you answered yes to any one of these questions, you have a certain amount of power and privilege. But the question is, and the question we're going to talk about today is this, what do you do with your power and privilege? What do you do with the power and privilege that you've been given? Because this is a great question. And I think, y'all listen to me, I think it is a very important question to know what to do with your power and privilege. And I think it's a question that we all have to ask. And what I hope today is that we see biblically what the answer to that question is. So turn with me to Ruth chapter 2. We're going to cover five whole verses verses 8 through 13. Ruth chapter 2, verses 8 through 13. And remember, we're calling this series Pause. And you might be asking yourself, why are you calling uh, a study in the book of Ruth Pause? And here's why. Over and over and over again, we see these little pauses in this book where, where the, the people who we see, Naomi, uh, Boaz, even Ruth, kind of hits pause on their life. And, and, and maybe for you, your life has hit pause recently, right? COVID has made us hit pause, hasn't it? But the pauses that we're talking about in this book are different. We're talking about the pauses that we hit on ourselves. We're talking about those times where we step back and hit pause, and when we do, we stop and we think and we evaluate and, and perhaps even change what we're doing before we hit play again. That's what we're talking about. What happens when we hit pause before we hit play? Now, kids, this isn't just an, an adult issue. Many times kids hit pause in their own lives, right? Maybe you just need a minute to yourself every so often. Maybe you're, you're about to try something new or, or, or you have this idea and you want to kind of think through it. And so, so you need some time away to do that. That's what this is. And when we do that, it gives us an opportunity to ask this question that we're going to see today. What do we do with the power and privilege that we have? Well, let's see what the, the Bible shows us. In Ruth chapter 2, verse 8, it says this. It says, Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter. I want to stop right here uh, because if you remember from the last couple of weeks, Ruth um, uh, is, has, has um, uh, said that she will go with Naomi back to Israel. And when she gets there, uh, they have to have food. And so they do what's called gleaning. And, and Ruth goes into this field to glean, which means that after the harvesters go through, people that have needs and people uh, that don't have food for themselves can go and clean up after the harvesters and, and get their own food. That's what gleaning is. And so Ruth has done that. And she ends up in the field of Boaz. Now, we know that God actually brought her there, but, but that's where she is. And Boaz noticed her and he found out all about her and heard her story. And, and one of these, one part of her story includes that she's actually related to Boaz. Their family, which is part of the reason why he calls her daughter. Right? It's, it, it's also because she's younger than he is. But 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 for both of those reasons, it's this term of endearment. And, and here's what this means. that The point here is that there is this connection between Boaz and Ruth. And he's showing her that there is this connection between them. And look at what this connection provides. In verse 8, it says Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. And so here's what he's doing here. Oftentimes working in a field, uh, there were family together, right? Like like a lot of the people that are working in Boaz's field are Boaz's family because you'd gather your cousins and aunts and uncles and anybody you knew and and everyone, and y'all would work in the field together. And so Boaz, in many ways, is inviting Ruth to join the family. So not only is he giving her connection to family. He's also giving her a connection to others, not just a connection to him, but a connection to others. And the word for that is community. Right now, y'all, this would be a big deal to Ruth to have this experience of community. Because what that means is that he gave her a people. Keep in mind, she left her family in Moab to come To Israel with Naomi and right now Naomi is her only family her only sense of community and so what Boaz is doing is he's giving her this family now I think I know the answer to this question but but let me ask you you know he's giving her these people how many of you miss your people these days Right? How many of you miss even gathering together as a church? Like Amy said, uh, next Sunday we start in-person gatherings on Sunday, and I am so excited about that. But those in-person gatherings, you have to keep in mind, we're going to be wearing masks. We're going to be physically distanced. It's going to be a smaller group. We, I think we can take up to 75 or so at a time. And so it'll be a smaller group than we're used to. And so it'll be a taste of what life was like before. Now, it'll be a great taste but it'll just be a taste. And, and i got to tell you, as I've been thinking about this and thinking about having people in this room again, I get excited. But there's also a little bit of grief in me because I miss some things. Like one of the things I've learned during this season of physical distancing is that I miss human touch with Friends. I miss being able to see people in this space and, and give them a hug and put my arm around them and, or, or put my hand on their shoulder or even shake their hand. Like, like, like I miss that. If, if this is you, if, if you miss your people, if you miss being able to, 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 to hug and being able to, that idea of, that, of human contact, you know what? You can empathize with Ruth in this. Because that's exactly where she is. Her people aren't there. And so when Boaz says, you can be part of the family, you can can be here, it is this great gift that Boaz is is giving Ruth. But there's more. Look at what else he does in verse nine. In verse nine, he says this. He says, let your eyes be on the field that you are reaping, that that they are reaping, and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? Now, now, This is what he's given her here. He's giving her safety. He's giving her safety. Now, I mentioned this last week, but being an outsider gleaning in someone's fields could be dangerous work. She could be taken advantage of. Somebody could hurt her. But Boaz is letting her know that that won't happen here. She will not get hurt here. Look at what else he gives her in in the rest of verse 9. It says this and he says, and when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. And so what he's doing here is he's providing for her. He's giving her provision. So he's given her connection and community. He's given her safety and now he's giving her provision. He gives her fresh water. And again, this is the benefit of being family. This is the benefit of being one of the workers in the field. And even though she's an outsider, she gets the benefits of an insider. And he is providing for her. Now, here's what I want to do. Like we've got these things, and man, that's good and right. I want us to zoom out just a minute. Right? Because I think in stepping back, we see the answer to our question. What do we do with the power and privilege uh, that we've been given? Well, look at what Boaz did right? Because Boaz is the guy with the power and the privilege, the most of it, and as, this, as this book unfolds. He's the, the wealthy one. He's the strong one. He's the one that owns the field. He's the one that, that has the workers. And what did he do with the privilege and power that was given to him? Well, he provided and protected the one with less power and privilege. And in seeing that, church, We see what our answer is. What do we do with our power and privilege? We see that power and privilege provide and protect. Power and privilege provide and protect. Kids, and even adults, say that 10 times fast. See what happens, right? Power and privilege provide and protect. Because that's what power and privilege do. Power and privilege are this gift from God to us to provide and protect for those with less power and privilege. Now, this isn't just true for Boaz. If Boaz was the only person that did, did this, we'd be like, oh, that's cool. But no, it is true for the entire Bible. Even if you go all the way back uh, to Genesis, the first book in the Bible, there's this guy named Abraham, and Abraham is called by God. And in Genesis 12, God says, I will bless you. And all the nations of the world will be blessed through you. And so it's this picture of I will bless you; you can bless others. And it's the same thing that Boaz did. And then, and then, and then, and then, even in Proverbs, there's this little gem uh, that I read a, f- a few weeks ago that captures this truth. It says this: It says when the righteous proper, when the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. When the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. Now, why in the world would the city rejoice if a godly person becomes wealthy and prospers? Because, biblically, this this theme is throughout the entire Bible. Because the city knows that if a godly person grows in their wealth, the city gets better. Because they use their blessing to bless others as a godly person gets richer the city gets better. Y'all, here at Fellowship, we have we have tried our best to embody this idea of as we are blessed, we will bless others. And one of the ways that Jesus has led us as a church is to mirror this with a very simple question that we ask ourselves. And this question is kind of at the core of, of who we are as a church. We talk about it in our discovery class, which is for folks who are new to church. We even talk about it in our in our membership class for those people who want to be a member here at Fellowship. And we talk Talk about this question that, that haunts me and, and, and that we ask each other that if, if fellowship had to close its doors, would the city of Asheville even notice? if Asheville had to shut down would the, with the community around us, would Oakley even notice? y'all here's what this last six months has taught us because guess what? we have had to close our doors, and yet God has continued to bless this community through this church, through you fellowship ashville god has continued to bless this community and i tell you what's happened these past seven months you have given your money and you have given your time to feed families who need it here in oakley you have partnered with oakley elementary this school the elementary school that's right across the street to provide when they had needs And so you gave your time and your money uh, to serve this city in very tangible ways. And church, I want you to hear me say thank you. Thank you for doing that. We regularly are able to give food to those in need and to help at Oakley because of you. And like Amy said in the announcements, in a few weeks, we're gonna have Serve Asheville. And it's an opportunity for you to give your time in various ways. There's in-person projects. And y'all, there is a slew of at-home projects that you can do. And it is your opportunity to share the blessing that you have been given out to others. And so you see, God has given us this certain amount of privilege and power as a church. And as we have asked Jesus to lead us, he has faithfully done so by allowing us to provide and protect those with less power and privilege. And so let me ask you this question. What have you been doing with the power and privilege that you've been given? What have you been doing with the power and privilege that you've been given? Who are you providing for? Who are you protecting? Who are you blessing? Right? As God blesses you, who are you blessing? As God gives to you, who are you giving to? Now, let me, let me get up in your business a little bit, if I might. Right? Because I think there's something in Boaz that we need to follow and I actually think it's key to this. Because you see, you might be answering my question, who are you providing for and who are you protecting with a very good and honorable answer and you might be answering with who you are giving to. You might be saying, well, Fred, I give to the church so that y'all can serve. That is awesome. And without your giving, there's a lot that we couldn't do but there's something better. You might be saying, well, I give to organizations so that they can serve. Y'all hear me? That is awesome. Keep doing it, but there's something better that Boaz did. Because here's what Boaz did. Boaz didn't just give to Ruth. Boaz includes Ruth. He invited Ruth into the family. That was how he was providing. That was how he was protecting. His provision and protection were found in his inclusion of her, who was a foreigner, who was even an enemy to Israel. We can't overlook that. And he included her into the family and the life of the family. So let me ask you a better question, if I may. And the question is this. Who are you inviting in? Who are you inviting? inviting in? Who are you including in your life that has less power and less privilege than you do? Who are you inviting to your table? Now, I know in the era we live in right now, inviting to your table, you might have to get creative to do that. But the picture is the same. Who are you inviting in? Who are you sharing your connections and experience with for the benefit of them, not for the benefit of you? Who are you stepping aside for so that they can enjoy your spotlight? Now remember, if you answered yes to any one of these questions, you have more power and privilege than most people in the world. And so church, let that weight sit on you for just a minute and and, and think about this question. What are we doing with the power and the privilege that we've been given? What are you, who are you inviting in? Now, I know this question in these words of power and privilege, particularly the word privilege, is what's driving a lot of the racial conversations lately. And I say lately, but let's be honest. These conversations have been happening for 60 years or more And those of us with power and privilege are just now beginning to listen. But here's the deal if those conversations were framed with this question of who are you inviting in, let me tell you, those conversations will change. Instead of seeing people as your enemy, you begin to see them as family that can come in. That changes the conversation. Because you see, if you're willing to invite in, if you're willing to share your power and your privilege, if you're willing to step aside and let those with less power and privilege share the spotlight, the conversation changes. But let me give you a warning, because you need to know this, that blessing others with your power and privilege is incredibly uncomfortable. Blessing others with your power and privilege is incredibly uncomfortable. But y'all, let me ask you this. Aren't the best things in your life uncomfortable when they started? You see, providing and protecting for those with less power and privilege may be uncomfortable, but it is the way of Jesus, y'all. I mean, our Jesus left heaven imagine how comfortable heaven was he left heaven to come to earth and not even just earth he came to an ancient earth without indoor plumbing without modern conveniences and he came to do that to live basically a homeless life with 12 guys who would eventually all betray him at some level to save a people who honestly didn't want to trust him. And he did all of that for the ability to invite us in. You see, church, we have been blessed in Jesus so that we can bless others. Now, with that, you might be feeling like Ruth here. Look at at her response to this in verse 10. In verse 10, she says this, Then she, being Ruth, fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? Now, interesting, this term, found favor, is the term often used in Scripture, too, for the word blessing. And so her question may have been, Why are you sharing all of your blessings with me? And her response is nothing but shocked gratitude. Now, y'all, I just shared with you how God sent his son from heaven to earth so that we could be invited in to this good and right and personal relationship with God so that we wouldn't be strangers but that we would be family. We'd be invited into this good and right relationship because this is what saying yes to Jesus is. You get to be invited into the family of God. You get the blessing of being part of God's family. And when you allow this truth to sink in, do you know what your response is? Your response is just like Ruth. Your response is, why me? The word for that is gratitude. It's gratitude. And gratitude, one way to think about it is unplanned thankfulness, right? Gratitude is this immediate response of unplanned thankfulness. It's our response when we see the empty tomb is, why me? Gratitude is what allows us to share our power and privilege with those that have less power and privilege than we've been given because here's why. When we have gratitude, we realize that any power and privilege we have is actually a gift. That we didn't earn it, and we don't deserve it. Just like salvation. We didn't earn it, and we don't deserve it. But yet God gives it anyway. You see, power and privilege is a lot easier to share when you realize it's not yours to begin with. Now look at how Boaz responds to Ruth's question of why. Verse 11 says this, But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. Now, remember last week, we talked about how your reputation is your first impression. That's what Boaz is saying. Look at what he says next in verse 12. And he says, The Lord repay you for what you've done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel. You see, Boaz understood the source of his blessing and he understood the source of Ruth's future blessing and that that was going to be God. Because remember, this is a gift. The power and privilege that you have, the power and privilege that Boaz has, the power and privilege that Ruth is going to have is a gift from God. You see, Boaz understands that God blesses so that we can bless. God blesses so that we can bless. God gives so that we can give away. But y'all, there's also a path to this blessing that's very important. And look at verse 12, the rest of it. He's talking to to, to Ruth, and he's recounting uh, his blessing for her, and he says this about her under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And so, so he's looking at Ruth and he's saying, remember, remember when you said to Naomi, he, and you can almost hear him say it, and he's like, because Ruth, I've heard this story. I heard that you had a sister-in-law who turned back, but yet you looked at Naomi and you said, wherever you go, I go, your people will be my people and your God will be my God. And he says, Ruth, when you did that, you came under the wings of our God. And it's this picture of a mother bird collecting her, her, her babies, you know, like, like it's this picture of, of care and tenderness that God does because God is the one who also provides and protects for us so that we can provide and protect for others. And when Naomi said, I mean, when, when Ruth said that to Naomi, she was entering into this covenant relationship with the God of Israel. She was stepping into a relationship with him. In the New Testament, we see this fully explained. And, And it's really the term that I use, that saying yes to Jesus. When you say yes to Jesus, you're doing the same thing that Ruth told Naomi, that your God will be my God and your people my people. That's what saying yes to Jesus is. And this is how we come under the wings of God. And if you haven't entered into a relationship with God by trusting your life into his hands, into the hands of Jesus, then let today be the day that you do that. Because this is the added bonus. Look at at verse 13. It says this. It says, Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I'm not one of your servants. And so she used this word comfort. She came under the wings of God. God led her to the fields of Boaz. And now Boaz is providing and protecting for her and Naomi. And she has reached this place of comfort. Y'all, when we come under the wings of God, when we say yes to Jesus, when we take that provision and protection that he has given us, that blessing that he has given us, and we give it away to others, that's the result of this, is comfort. You see, those with less power and privilege find comfort when we experience the uncomfortable feeling of giving away that power and privilege. People with less power and privilege feel comforted when we feel the uncomfort of inviting them in. So y'all, let me ask you this as as we close up today. You've heard all this. Let me ask you a question. What's stopping you from inviting people in? What's stopping you from stepping aside, even just a little bit, to share your power and privilege with those who have less? question you have to ask is, what power and privilege have you been given and who can you invite in? You can also ask the question, what makes you uncomfortable? Because chances are, that's the place that God can use you. That's the place that God can give the most comfort to others. Y'all, let me tell you what happens when a church does this. And I know I'm talking to people not just here in Asheville, but people all over. And so it doesn't matter if you're here in Asheville or wherever you are, this is true. What happens is when you become one of those people, right, one of those Jesus followers, who's okay being uncomfortable, who's who's okay sharing your power and privilege with others, what happens is the community begins to notice. Those around you begin to notice because all of a sudden you're one of those people that people feel more comfort around than they feel uncomfortable around because you're carrying that for them. When you use your power and privilege for the benefit of others, y'all listen to me, the world benefits. The city benefits. Your community benefits. And here's what I pray. I pray that God has brought someone or something to your mind for you to invite in. And if he has, then here's what I need you to do. I need you to walk in an uncomfortable, faithful obedience. Because God is telling you that that person, that that organization, that that something or that someone, that they need you. They need the Jesus in you. Let me pray. Jesus, Your Holy Spirit uh, moves and breathes and and, and weaves himself in and out. And and he is here and and he is with those who are listening. And and one of the things that that the Holy Spirit does is is he speaks. And God, I pray that you would do that. I pray that you would speak and I pray that you would bring the, the image of a face to someone's mind, that you would bring the name of someone to mind, that you would bring the idea of how to invite someone in, and that the families that are gathered today today will talk about it, and talk about what it means to share their power and privilege. And God, I pray today that you will use this, this gosh, this at best mediocre sermon, to change lives. I pray that you would use it to, to change. Communities, I pray that you would use it to change cities by the simple act of your people inviting others into their lives. Of them stepping aside and sharing their power and privilege with those with less. And God, that you would use it to do a mighty and amazing thing. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Y'all, I love you. I love being in the church with you. We will continue on with a Facebook Live right after this. And let's talk about this idea of power and privilege uh, and, and see where the conversation goes. I'll see you in just a little bit.